that's the amazing thing about really successful people. I think they ignore that the end game. I don't know if I'm going to get there or not, but I know the only way I'm going to get there is by doing this. I think back at Kent State, I can remember shoveling snow off the sidewalk in front of our complex because a recruit might show up that day. Recruit didn't, you know, he didn't, but what if he did? I'm not having a recruit walk through a foot of snow. I'm going to make sure he can get into our clubhouse. And I think it was my third or fourth year as a head coach there. I can remember as I'm doing this, and it's freezing cold, my hands are numb, my back hurts, and I'm shoveling the snow really for no reason, just at the off chance that a recruit stops by that day. And I remember saying to myself, this is going to pay off. Yeah. It's going to pay off. I'm kind of almost tricking myself <laughs> yeah, into doing it. No doubt. But I think that's what we've got to think about is if we want to get to where we want to be, we're going to have to do some things that might be uncomfortable. You're dialed in to the ABCA's Calls from the Clubhouse podcast, connecting our coaches with some of the best baseball minds in our game. Now here's your host, Jeremy Sheetinger. Coming through your speakers and broadcasting from the ABCA National Office here in Greensboro, North Carolina, welcome back or welcome to our Calls from the Clubhouse podcast. This is your baseball coaching source for certified audio gold and the place where you come to connect with the very best baseball minds in our game. Man, it feels fantastic to be back in the studio and delivering a brand new podcast to our coaching community with episode 116. This is our first interview of a brand new year in 2019, and this one truly gets us rolling downhill. We deliver a new episode to you each and every week so you can hear from some of the very best, learn from their experiences, take in their perspectives and content, their ideas, and go right up against what you're doing in the game, challenge your thoughts and ideas on these topics, and this is done all in an effort to help grow coaches and ultimately grow the game of baseball. Find us wherever podcasts are free, hit subscribe when you see it, be kind, leave us a review and a rating, plus share this podcast with anyone you feel like would appreciate these conversations. Connect with us on social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter, find us at ABCA1945. You can also head over to our website, abca.org, if you're looking for more information about what our baseball coaching fraternity here is all about. Also, please feel free to reach out to me directly on Twitter and Instagram at CoachSheets3 or by email Sheets, S-H-E-E-T-S, at abca.org. Back with some shout-outs, and there would be way too many to mention, but thank you to each and every one of you who reached out before the convention those who grabbed me and introduced yourself on the floors of the Dallas Convention, the follow-up DMs, the emails, the texts, the calls, the tweets, all of you are rock stars. And as I probably told most of you in person or through text or on the phone, those conversations, those kind notes, hearing how what we're doing is making you a better coach and even a better person, you have to understand those are the only thank yous that we'll ever need. Those fuel the fire here. They challenge all of us here in the national office to be better for each of you. Explore new topics, find new guests, continue to build the brand here at ABCA by improving our events, adding more content to our channels, enhancing and growing the podcast. I mean, guys, I love each and every one of you, and I'll close with this. If you think we're killing it right now, just wait. We have a few more surprises up our sleeves, and hang on tight. We're just static stretching right now. We haven't even broken into the dynamic warm-up, let alone started playing catch. So trust me, there is more to come, and we appreciate each and every one of your support and what we're doing here at ABCA. Huge thanks to our great friends and longtime ABCA partners over at Rawlings. We appreciate their support of the Calls the Clubhouse podcast, walking into their first full year of sponsorship of this show. We hope you had the opportunity to swing by their booth in Dallas, connect with those folks face-to-face, tell them how much you appreciate what they're doing for coaches and players around the world. Take a minute and go check out their entire product line on their website, Rawlings.com. That's Rawlings, R-A-W-L-I-N-G-S.com. And we hope to see you join Team Rawlings today. And real quick, before we dive into more about this week's guest, we have a very special offer to our loyal podcast listeners out there. We hope you didn't skip through and you missed this great opportunity. As many of you know, we partnered up with Coaches Insider to record the tremendous coaching clinics that came from 10 of our 20 Barnstormers Clinics tour stops as we went from coast to coast this past fall and they put together amazing quality and production behind these videos and coaches who have already purchased 
They're raving. They're beside themselves how awesome these came out. You're talking about on-field coaching clinics. Some are going to have player demonstrations, some with full practice set up, but all with outstanding clinicians covering every fundamental of the game. And these 60 videos, they can be yours. Now, normally this package is going to cost around $100, but again, because we love you, I'm offering you a special discount code only through this podcast. Use the code SHEETS50OFF. That's SHEETS, S-H-E-E-T-S, 50-O-F-F, over on their website, coachesinsider.com slash barnstormers. That's coachesinsider.com slash barnstormers. Now, when you go to that page, you're going to see they've already put out a $25 discount code, but don't let that confuse you. You're listening to this intro. You're hearing this offer. You get a secret discount of $50 off when you use the code SHEETS50 OFF. Take full advantage of this discount. I'm terrible at math, but I went ahead and did it for you. 60 videos for $50. Guys, that's 83 cents a video. 83 cents. That's unreal. But we want you to jump on the Barnstormers tour bus with us. Head over to coachesinsider.com slash barnstormers today. Now on to this week's show as we welcome in Scott Strickland, the head coach of the University of Georgia, a truly proud member of the ABCA, a featured main stage clinician a couple times in his career, and even more than that, a tremendous person and coach. Scott is an extraordinary catching coach. It almost does him a disservice to spotlight him in the dugout chatter episode, but rest assured, we dive into some topics from behind the plate, but I felt like it was his mentality, his approach to coaching, his humility to challenge himself, his perspective, that would be invaluable to just leave out there on the table. So we uncover his journey through coaching. Strick drops dime after dime over the airwaves, and it gives us, in my opinion, maybe the most efficient episode to date. Perfect way to kick off a brand new year. We get a little uncomfortable and get outside our box, but we shine a light on the great things that are happening for the Bulldogs under Coach Strickland. So again, pull up a bucket with us as we dial into Athens, Georgia to connect with the 22-year continuous ABCA member and University of Georgia head coach, Scott Strickland. He is our guest on this week's Dugout Chatter episode. Get ready, coaches. This great show is coming at you right now. Coaches, thanks for dialing into our Calls from the Clubhouse podcast. We've got a fantastic episode on deck for you today as we head down to Athens, Georgia, a fantastic college town, and connect with a loyal ABCA member, the head coach of the University of Georgia, Scott Strickland. Strick, thanks for jumping on with us. Yeah, no problem, Sheets. Thanks for having me. Well, as we start all of our shows, Scott, we go into your ABCA experience over the years, you being a 22-year continuous member. You know, we had the opportunity to bring a Barnstormers coaching clinic to your campus there in Athens this fall and did a fantastic job hosting that event. But when you think about, again, coming out of professional baseball and moving right into coaching, take us through that experience and how the associations really helped you grow. Uh, you know, I always kind of tell the, the joke that, you know, Danny Hall was, was my college coach at Kent State. And, and uh, when I got released from spring training, I was in St. Petersburg, Florida, and I called him from the, the lobby of the Radisson Hotel. And I said, Coach, just got released. What, what do I do? And, and, uh, he said, Hey, come to Atlanta. I'll give you a job. And, uh, he didn't tell me he wasn't going to pay me. I was a volunteer coach. I went up to, came up to Atlanta and, and, uh, became the volunteer for two and a half years and immediately became involved in the ABCA and, and became a member that first year. I believe it was, was 1998 yeah. and, uh, been to, you know, dozens of clinics and, and, uh, you know, over the years going to the convention, got the opportunity to speak at the convention twice and, uh, which was a huge thrill. You get up on that stage, you don't realize how many people are actually there. And, but, you know, just being involved in it and, you know, learning from other coaches, being involved, uh, with the Barnstormers clinic, like you said, uh, on our campus this fall, which was a first, uh, it's just, it's just a great resource for all of us coaches. Now, as our loyal listeners know, Scott, I am a, I'm a homer. I'm an SEC guy. I grew up in that in that country, uh, getting an opportunity to coach the University of Kentucky. My first SEC weekends was down at Georgia, so I got to experience Foley Field and what that fan base is all about. Now, you walking into your sixth season there, man, you have really created an atmosphere of excitement. There is really a a turning of the corner happening. 
down there at Georgia. So I want to tee you up here. If you could just talk about taking on the challenge of leaving Kent State and what you were building there, taking the Georgia program over, and then building it back to national prominence. Can you just take us through what's going on there in Athens? Well, we're obviously excited about our club, and, and we had a good year last year. It, it took some time to, to build this thing. When, mm-hmm. when I took the job in the summer of 2013, uh, it wasn't in great shape, and uh, we had to build it back up. Yeah. And uh, you know, the team in 2013 was 6-24 and 24 in this league, and, and you know how tough this league is. <laughs> no doubt. But uh, we, we just had some work to do, and we had, we had good players here. Uh, we need more good players to, to compete in this league. Yeah, you have to be uh, you know, full of uh, a full roster of, of players and, and depth in the bullpen. And so it just took time to build it up. And the way recruiting works, you know, these kids are committing when they're freshmen and sophomores. It doesn't happen overnight. Right. And uh, so we just we, we basically took the approach of we're going to slow cook this thing. We're going to do it right. Uh, I am not going to try to get everybody out of here and bring in new players right away. I just don't think that's the way it should be done. Right. So, uh, you know, we, we honored uh, all the guys that were here, and uh, we just kind of took our time getting to where we felt like we needed to be. Now, that's a pretty stressful way to go about things mm-hmm. uh, in today's world, but uh, very fortunate to have an athletic director that had that same vision yep. in order to do it right. Greg McGarity knew that it was going to take some time, and you know what? We, we had a great recruiting class. Uh, the, the guys that graduated high school in 2016, those guys are now juniors. But when they came in three summer, three falls ago, yeah. uh, it was the number three recruiting class in the country. We had 14 kids in that class, and we have 14 third-year players still wow. in our program. Wow. They're all still here. They're all together. And uh, those guys, a lot of those guys started as freshmen. There were times when we had seven freshmen on the field, in uh, in the spring of 2017, we took our lumps a little bit, but you could see it coming that uh, we got a chance to be pretty good. And last year, sophomores, those guys played really well and uh, got us to the point where we were a national seed. We hosted a regional here, mm-hmm. and uh, and now those guys are juniors. So we we've slow cooked this thing. We built it kind of from the ground up, and uh, we feel really good about our club this year and the direction our program's going. Well, I wish I could tell you that it looked stressful. I know it was, but I mean, we both go the same barber, so it's not like you were losing any more hair. Yeah. Uh, so I really, I, could, I couldn't tell by looking at you, but no, I, I understand that process, and I know it, it. It's it it's painstaking at times, just because of the expectations that are put on some of those programs. But again, watching things grow there, we're hoping for a great 2019 season for you. Now, I just want to go back just directly to coming from Kent State to Georgia and and bringing some of the head coaching lessons or head coach perspective that you had how much of that carried over to Georgia were there things that you tweaked that you changed again kind of jumping from a mid-major to an upper level program were there things that you brought with you that stayed the same or were there things that that shifted for you well I tried to stay consistent as much as I as I could I, I think most coaches as they get older will tell you that if they're players from 10, 15 years ago, could come back and watch yeah. you coach. They think you got soft. Yeah, that's right. You know, I get that all the time, coach. You know, some some of my my Kent State guys will come down. Maybe they're going on a spring break with their family or whatever, mm-hmm. and they'll stop through and and watch a series or watch a practice. And that's the first thing they say, half jokingly, but coach, you've got soft. What's going on with you? And sure. And you know, you I think as as you you grow older, you you find a sometimes a better way to communicate. Mm-hmm. I, I think when we're younger. Uh, sometimes it's, you know, I'm going a, a million miles an hour and, and you know what, if, if you can't hear me, I'm just going to yell louder. And, <laughs> sure. uh, now I, I think I've learned you, you, instead of yelling louder, you got to speak clearer. There you go. And, uh, wow. so I, I think that's probably the, the thing that I've changed the most is, is and now my current players, I don't know if they would agree with it, but, uh, I, I think I've softened a little bit. I, I communicate a little bit better. I used to be more of a, of, of a yeller and a screamer and, and, mm. and that's not, I think there's a place for it. There's a place to to get your point across, but I've definitely softened up a little bit when it comes to that. And communicating is is certainly a big key. That's good. Go go a little more deeper into that that young again getting out of professional baseball now into coaching that young Scott Strickland. Just define more fully who that person was. And when you look back, and you probably chuckle to yourself, but to expand that a little bit more for us. Well, you know, when I took the head coaching job at Kent State. It was the summer of 2004, and, and I asked the question that I think every coach asked 
of themselves when they become a head coach is, am I ready for this? Mm. And, uh, you know, I found out that, that, uh, I wasn't, I wasn't, there was a lot mm. of things that, uh, that I felt like I was ready for that. You just have no idea when, uh, you know, I can remember my first practice. We we're actually at a high school field at Stowe high school because our field was under renovation at Kent state when I got the job. And, and I remember thinking everyone's waiting for me to start practice. Yeah. It was the first time as, you know, as a young coach, as an assistant, I was always kind of in the background, you know, and, and helping. But now all of a sudden everyone's looking at me and I start this thing. So, uh, you know, I, I think that the key for me as a young coach was to be as structured and organized as I could. Hmm. Um, I, I think that something that hasn't changed with me is I'm, I'm willing to do just about anything on the field. You know, I'll, I'll drag a field, I'll edge a field, I'll, you know, pick weeds. I don't care. Yeah. I, I just, I've always done that. And I just feel like I've, I've had people say, why the heck are you doing that? And my comment is always, well, if they see me doing it, then they'll never complain when I ask them to do it. Wow. So I think that's just something I've always believed in doing and doing the little things are important. And that really hasn't changed, but I just think I've, I've calmed a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I'll ever completely calm down because I'm pretty high strung and, sure. and uh, competitive. But, uh, man, that young coach at, at the age of, gosh, I think I was 33 when I got the Kent State job, it was just a million miles an hour and head spinning. And I think I've learned to take a step back and breathe a little bit better. That's good. You know, there's also a maturation that becomes, again, being an organizer or, in essence, just a quote-unquote head baseball coach is one thing. But when you mature as a leader, when you mature as a person that, again, has to stand in front of 18- to 22-year-old men and, and – explain a vision and then lead and, and, and exhibit the vision and the culture of where things want to go. How have you matured as a leader? But also, how have you matured as a developer, uh, as a baseball teacher? How have you developed in those spaces? Well, you know, again, going back to communication, I think that's the key. They, they, have, to, they have to hear the message. They have to understand the message that you're giving them. But then they have to believe in the message. And, and I think that's the biggest key when you take over a program is that you have to prove that you care about them. You have to show them day after day that this means something to me, that they mean something to you. And uh, if they believe in that, then uh, then it makes your message a little bit easier to convey. Uh, you know, being a leader to me, I think it's a lot about example. I think you've got to, to prove to them that you're willing to do anything uh, that it takes to help them get better as a player and as a person. And you have to, to lead by example. And so when, when you're out on the road, when you go, uh, you're on the road hotel, you're not hanging out in the hotel bar. You're not coming in. You're, you're doing what you're supposed to do because at the end of the day, when they're 30, 40, 50 years old, you hope that they took something from you to help them become a better parent, a better husband, whatever it is. So you got to lead by example and do things the right way. And, and uh, you know, I just think that's really important that they need to see that, this is what matters to me, that the team, my family, you know, those are the things that are important. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. And then they need to understand, and, and I need to convey to them clearly to ask them the question, why are you here? Why did you come here? Why are you playing baseball? Why do you do this? Why is it important to you? And, if, and the answer is, well, I think we all know the answer is because I love it. This is what I want to do. I want right. to be a big leaguer. Okay, if that's really what you love and really what you want to do, are you doing all the things to get what you want and wish for? And that's the question that we challenge with our guys all the time. You know, are your habits matching up with your hopes and your wishes and your dreams? And we all know, we all look back when we were younger, we have some regrets. Gosh, I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have done that. And part of my job as a coach, I think, is to help these guys when they get older to have as few regrets as possible. And that's what I tell them, man. That's my job is to help you navigate through this thing. It's really tough, but I've been through it. My coaching staff's been through it. It's our job to kind of help you get to where you want to be with as few and as little regret as possible. Oh, my goodness gracious. Okay. When you talk about asking your players the question why, it's it's interesting. I just even saw something last night on social media. It's just as when you look at the question why, you've got to ask it three times. I mean, why is a very topical answer when you really start to peel back that onion. You get to the core of exactly 
why we're doing what we're doing, what is the true motivation, the true passion behind it. And so that leads me into this, Scott, when you think about your why in coaching, and I always think of it as why do you come to the ballpark each and every day? What is at your core? Competitive is one thing, but what is it that's really driving you each and every day to lead the, the Georgia program? Well, you want to win championships. Yep. There's, there's, nothing, uh, there's nothing better than hoisting that trophy and uh, you know, being in a dog pile, getting drenched with, with, uh, with Powerade. There's nothing sure. better than that, uh, but at the same time doing it the right way and, and helping these guys grow and develop and get better. And, and you know, to, to me, now that I am getting older and you know, you, you're watching your guys that you coach get married and have kids, and, mm-hmm. and, and now I've, you know, I've got guys that play for me that are coaching and watching these guys grow up and, and they stay in contact with you and, and, and they give you a thank you and, and, uh, you know, Hey coach, I still do this because of that. That's to me at the end, it's, it's the most satisfying thing for me in the long run is seeing the guys that you've helped, that you've coached and that they appreciate it and it's helped them. It certainly, uh, is, is satisfying to win those championships in the moment and, and we remember all those things, but we also remember, you know, the, the morning runs and the morning lifts and the conditioning and, mm-hmm. you know, the hard times and the losses and the, 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 the butt chewings that you got. And, you know, those, you, you remember those things too, but at the end of the day, you know, I, I, I do this cause I love it. It's, mm-hmm. it's really the only thing I know. I can hardly change a light bulb. It's, it's the only thing I know is baseball. <laughs> sure. So this, I don't know what the heck I'd be doing if, if I wouldn't be coaching, but you know, I, I do it because I love it. I'm competitive. Uh, you know, I, I get the excitement every day. I get excited for practice. My players will tell you, I show up to practice. I'm excited. It's, it's, it's fun for me to go out there and be able to, to still run around and throw batting practice and hit fungos and be a part of what we're doing. But I want them to be excited about it too, but I also want them to make sure that they get a great experience and, and they, they remember this when they're 30, 40, 50 years old. Oh, my gosh. You know, a great line uh, that came from this podcast, actually, and I heard it referenced on another one, was we have to keep in mind as coaches, we're coaching someone else's good old days. You know, like you Mm -hmm. said, 20, 30, 40 years from now, they're going to look back and say, man, those were the good old days, but you're going to have a direct influence on how they interpret that experience, right? Yeah. No, Jimmy Ryder, who was a shortstop for me at Kent State and, and was actually an assistant coach for me here for three years, he just got married in Athens in the fall. And, you know, several players from my Kent State team were down here and, you know, at, at the reception and mm-hmm. going around the table. And it's just so funny to hear <laughs> the stories from their perspective. Yeah. And, I mean, it's, it's just so fun to hear that, that their experiences were so great. And, and uh, you know, it, they were tough times, uh, but they loved it. That's and it. now they look back. And I, I say that all the time. I, you know, the times you're going to remember – you're going to remember the, the really tough times just as much as you remember the good times. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it's going to help mold you. And if everything was easy, uh, then everybody would be playing baseball. That's it's it. not. It's a really tough and challenging game, but it's the bad times that make you better. And a lot of times, those are the ones that you remember. And if you think back to when you were a player, you, the, the time you'll remember, besides maybe winning a championship or you know making a great play or whatever, you probably remember doing stadium steps at 6 a.m. and no how doubt. awful it was, <laughs> but you still talk about it and you laugh about it now because you got through it and you're okay and you know what you're better for it. Mm-hmm. So th- those are the things that are fun for me to have those guys come back and you know tell stories from their perspective and, and understand that that they appreciated um, you know every they might have not liked it at the time but they appreciated it. Sure. Well, shout out to Kevin Vest, well Bonzi Community College Athletic Director for that uh, dime drop. I'll make sure he gets credit for that. And thanks yeah, for exploring good. that with me, Scott. Um, I want to go into this because I always think it's, uh, it's a, again, a staple question of what we ask, but it's more of, you know, I'm just engineered to think and, and I'm curious because I think as, as learners, you're constantly finding ways to be challenged. And so if you could pinpoint maybe a moment recently where you were challenged, it was something that you, you read, you learned, you saw conversation with, with someone else that you really went, wow. And you kind of sit back in your chair and go, oh, man, I, I, I could do that differently or I could be better at that. Is there something that challenged you that you could point to, Strick? Well, you know, I heard a saying, and I've kind of morphed it into my own, and, and it, was, it was several years ago, and it's something that I keep challenging myself with and, and challenging my players with. And, you know, I'll clean up the language a little bit, but it's basically if you do a cruddy job, it's your cruddy job, you're always going to have a cruddy job. <laughs> sure. And if you think, it, it just, it, you know, we all have, 
jobs or chores or duties that we just can't stand. <laughs> I hate it. I don't like doing it. And, you know, if, if it's part of our workplace and we do a really bad job at it, why the heck is someone going to give you a better one? Yeah. Whatever you're doing, just do it as best you can. And, and I challenge myself every single day to, to whatever that is, is I'm going to do what I'm doing the best I possibly can. And I tell my players that. And, and I think that the best example of that is, you know, you're, you're winning 11 to one or losing 11 to one and it's the ninth inning and you get that at bat and it's 48 degrees and you're freezing and you get called on to get a pinch hitting appearance. And as a player, we all know that that's a tough at bat. Sure. And that's a challenge. And you know what? If you handle it that way and you approach it that way, why the heck am I going to give you an at-bat when it's two to one? So that's the challenge I give my guys is no matter what your job is, make sure you do it really well. Because if you want a better one, the only way you're going to get a better one is by succeeding and doing really well and challenging yourself to be really great at that. So that's something I challenge myself with every day is to be great at the things that you don't like. And if you're great at the things that you don't like and you work at them and you find a way to even make it look like that you enjoy it, then you know what? You're going to continue to get better opportunities. And, and that's what I, I don't think everyone understands, especially young people, is when you're challenged or you're given an opportunity to do something that you don't want to do, if you go through the motions, if you have bad body language, if you complain about it, and then you fail at it or just don't do a very good job at it, why are we going to trust you to do something better, to do more? Mm-hmm. So that's what I really try to talk to my guys about and, and challenge them every single day and challenge myself is, you know what, not everything you're going to do or be given in life is something you're going to enjoy, but you know what, you got to find a way to get through it and be good at it. That's awesome. That is a great dime right there. We call that, in this business, Scott, we call that certified audio gold. And so I'm going <laughs> to stamp that that moment right there. And hopefully we got a few more, but... You know, we talked about being engineered as a learner, and I'm, I'm interested, Strick, when you think about how you're engineered in terms of the way that you learn. Are you a, a reader? Are you a podcast listener? Are you a guy that, you know, reaches out on the phone and has conversations with guys to kind of get that information or get that, that mentor-mentoree relationship? How are the ways, describe them, the ways that you learn? Well, I, I have to admit, I need to read more. I don't read uh, as much as both. I need to. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's, uh, it's a challenge for me. I think... I'll use the excuse my eyesight's going a little bit. So putting on those reading glasses is tougher and tougher for me. (laughs) But, uh, you know, I'd say it's more communication. Uh, I try to surround myself. First of all, I've surrounded myself with a really good coaching staff. You know, I've been fortunate just these last two years. And, uh, you know, the the, the volunteer position, which I hope is going to go away this year. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, last year, Pete Hughes, Mm -hmm. uh, who's the head coach at Kansas State right now and former head coach at, Oklahoma and Virginia Tech and Boston College. I've been a head coach for 21 years. He was my volunteer coach last year. Right. And, and, you know, and I had the opportunity to bring him in here for one year. I saw that as an opportunity for me to learn, mm. to get better. And that's what I told him. I said, hey, man, I'm checking my ego at the door here. I want to listen. I want to hear what wow. you have to say and what you think. And now I've got Mitch Gaspard. Yeah, exactly. you know, Mitch Gaspard is a head coach at Alabama for seven years and a Northwestern State, been a head coach for 16 years. And, mm you know, been coaching for over 30 and I, I want to surround myself with people that know what they're doing, that know what they're talking about, but are also good people and do it the right way. And, and I think that's, what's really important. I think we all know people that are successful and we kind of wonder how the heck did that guy get there? Yeah. Because we know his habits might not be what they need to be. I want to surround myself with people that work really hard and treat people the right way, mm-hmm. do things the right way. And, and that's, what I've been fortunate enough here, especially these last two years, to add to my coaching staff, Scott Daly, my hitting coach, has been with me now for 16 years. Uh, Sean Kenny, my pitching coach, we've known each other for over 25 years. You know, Jeff Guy is my director of operations. I mean, he's basically helped build East Cobb baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I, I'm surrounded by a lot of really good baseball people. So for me, for me to get better, I try to communicate. I try to listen. Uh, I do certainly reach out to, to other you know, coaches in this coaching fraternity that I'm fortunate enough to be friends with, and every chance I get to to talk to guys and ask them how they do things. You know, hey, you know, maybe I'll run a scenario, a hypothetical that maybe it happened to me, but I give them a hypothetical. Hey, what would you do in this situation? And and uh, and then that's that's really more how I'm learning. Wow. Okay. 
And I resonate with that quite a bit. And and I'm, again, I even had this challenge moment last night. Man, I got to read more. I, I keep talking about yeah. it, and I've got these. It's awful. Oh, man. I've got these great I books. I say it all the time. Me. I do, too. <laughs> so here, yeah. we, here we are on the podcast, Strick. Let's challenge each other through this year to read more. Okay. Uh, throw that out there into the space and, and let the universe take care of it. But um, I, I lend myself towards exactly your sentiments as well. I enjoy conversations. I enjoy picking up the phone and, and calling a coach and someone I admire or respect and just picking their brain and hearing their perspective. But then also, I mean, I think, I think you would probably lend yourself here as well. Like you mentioned with Pete is, Hey man, I'm checking my ego here. What are my blind spots? What am I missing? Yep. Or where can I be better? How much do those conversations challenge you, but how fulfilling are they for you? It is challenging to have to admit sometimes that maybe I'm not doing this right. Exactly. And, and, yeah. and we all challenge ourselves and, and certainly, you know, our first four years here weren't filled with success. They, mm-hmm. It was tough and it just, it, it was heartbreaking, you know, mm-hmm. and again, you say you watched on TV and it didn't look like it. Well, <laughs> it, it was difficult. It was really, sure. really tough to go through it. And so when, when Pete came in here last year, you know, our, our first lunch, we talked about it and I said, look, man, uh, I don't think I have a big ego, but if whatever ego I have is gone, um, Mm. I'm, I will listen. I will learn. If you see something, say it, if you see it, say it. And, uh, you know, the satisfying thing for me, you know, after a couple of weeks and anyone that knows Pete knows that he's a straight shooter. He's not going to beat around (laughs) the bush. You know, he's a South Boston guy. He's going to (laughs) come and tell you what he's thinking. And he walked into my office after a few weeks of, you know, seeing everything, just kind of taking everything in and, and, you know, he sat down and goes, hey, man, I just want to let you know that you're on the right path. You got the wow. right culture. You got the right kids. You got the right team. This is a good, talented team. They're doing things the right way. They listen. They want to learn. So that was satisfying. And now, okay, now let's challenge them more. Let's keep pushing them, keep pushing them. Yep. So, you know, I, I think hearing that really helped me because I think every coach out there, whenever you have a bad season or, you know, a, a bad stretch, you start to question yourself. Yeah. Am I do, what am I doing wrong? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, sometimes it just takes keep doing what you're doing and stay with it and believe in what you're doing. And, and that was the advice that, you know, I got from a lot of the coaches around here. And if you look at the, the other coaches that we have on staff and just about every sport here at Georgia, we've got Hall of Famers, oh, uh, yeah. you know, college coaches all around. And uh, that's what that was the advice is do what's gotten you here. Hmm. Be successful. If you're successful, Stay consistent. Learn and listen and try to get better every day, but don't change who you are if you believe what you're doing is right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and I do believe how we do things is right. It's not the only way, but I do believe in what we're doing. In hearing that from Pete and hearing that from Mitch, you know, Mitch has been with us six months now, and you know, Mitch has said the same thing, man. You, you've got a, a good group. You've got a good core. Um, you know, they believe in what we're doing. Let's just keep building it, and and yeah. so it's uh, it's been satisfying from from that end. And but again, we don't have it all figured out. Uh, we're always trying to get better, but we do believe in what we're doing. How do you take criticism? Because I'm I'm always intrigued by that as well. How, mm-hmm. how do you, how do you take critiques? Is a better way. You know, not as well as I'd yeah. like. <laughs> I think but, we're uh, I think I, we're brothers from another mother. I think we're, yeah, we're separated I, at birth I, here. I, I have gotten better where I can bite my lip and yeah. listen better and, and take a step back. And, and again, w- with having, you know, Pete and Mitch and, you know, guys that, uh, you know, have been so successful at such a high level in this game. Mm-hmm. And, and Scott Daly is someone I listen to very much. You know, I, I've never surrounded myself with yes men. There you go. I yeah. don't have people that tell me I'm doing it right all the mm-hmm. time. And, you know, Scott Daly and I have been together 16 years and he's, he might arguably be the, the smartest baseball guy that I know. Mm. And, and that might be surprising to some people because he's kind of quiet. He's, he's not a, you know, a guy that's, uh, you know, you don't hear a lot of him talking here and there. He's talking to our players. That's what he's doing. <laughs> and uh, he is such a good player at Wake Forest. His instincts were off the charts. And same thing as an evaluator, same thing as a coach, um, same thing as a communicator with our players. He's just really instinctive and, and, you know, we, we've been together a long time, and, and he will tell me. And then I ask him, like, hey, Scotty, what do you think of this? And, and he'll tell me either yes or no. He's not going to tell me yes just because I said it, just because I came up with it. Sure. And, uh, and Sean Kenny's the same way. Don't surround yourself with a bunch of yes men. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, but you got to be prepared to hear no. You got to be prepared to hey, that's not such a good idea, because a lot of times I'm throwing things at them to get a different answer. Yeah. Is there a different way to do this? And but I mean, I try to I skirted around your your question no. a little bit. <laughs> I I don't take it very well to be honest with you. I I try to keep my earmuffs on with the criticism that doesn't matter. You yeah. know the noise that yeah. as coaches at this level we all hear. Uh, you know, you win 10 in a row and then you lose one and all of a sudden people are mad. It's just, mm-hmm. it's natural. You know, I'm a Cleveland Browns fan. I've been mad a lot. I'm angry <laughs> sure. a lot because I'm a Browns fan. Uh, so I, I get being a fan. So you, you kind of tone out the criticism that really doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, you, you have to listen to the people that you trust and that are close to you and and take those critiques and take them for what they're worth. They're constructive. Yeah. And, uh, but then you also got to say, you know what? I expect my players to listen to this. Mm-hmm. I expect my players to take coaching and to take some constructive criticism. Well, why am I above that? That's I shouldn't be. And, uh, so I, 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 uh, I need to take it better. Uh, I need to take it the way that I expect my players to take it. Uh, I don't know if that's exactly the case, but, uh, but I, I try to bite my lip and listen and then take a step back and, <laughs> try to absorb it i love that and i think it goes back to that entire conversation it's it's the uh sometimes the ego gets in the way of hearing and that's where i've I've had to really check that and more of if you're really asking someone that you trust then you Mm -hmm. know that's coming from a place of love and so if you can get past all that and go hey man i know it hurts and it stings right now but that's actually real talk because that person again we have those conversations they've built a you know we've built a relationship of trust that that comment can be can be thrown at um, which really helps. I'm, I'm right there with you. You know, if, if someone's your friend or someone's your colleague, I mean, they, they want you to su- succeed. Absolutely. You know, well, why are they going to tell you? And that's what we tell our players. Why would we tell you something that's going to make you, you know, uh, you know, it's going to hurt you as a player or hurt yeah. you as a person. We're yeah. all trying to help you, but we've got to take that same advice for ourselves when someone else tells us something. So and it's, it's tough to do. I love it. We're just growing. I mean, we're sitting here growing on the podcast at, at 830 in the morning, Scott. That's what it's about. Um, I, I got to scratch this for you because I know how fantastic of a catching coach you are. And again, I remember those two main stage presentations and, uh, I couldn't take enough notes and I'm not a catching guy, but it was just the way that you went about it, the drills that you offered, the mentality, the cues that you, that you, that you presented up there on stage. So I want to talk about just maybe just being a catching coach. How have you grown inside that space? And again, I always reflect back on the young catching coach to certainly who you are right now and who you, you presented uh, at the Barnstormers Clinic and just absolutely blew our minds of some of the drills and ideas and, and interpretations of, of the skill sets needed behind the plate. But how have you grown inside just being a catching coach? Take us from then to now. Well, there's not one way to do things. And that's okay. something that you know I learned is you know, the way that I did it, uh, you know, maybe one of my catchers can't do it that way. Mm-hmm. And the way that he's doing it, I couldn't do it that way. But you got to find a way to make it work. And, you know, everyone's got a different skill set. You know, not everyone's got quick feet or not everyone's really flexible in the hips or not everyone's hands are the greatest, but you got to find a way to make it work. So, you know, I I went from when I first started coaching is this is the way you got to do it. Yeah. You know, it's the way I did it. I I had success doing it. This is the way you got to do it. And, and then you start realizing that that doesn't work for him. He can't do that. And, but he can do something else that makes him better. So, you know, whether you're dropping your left knee or, or, you know, your stance is a little bit lower, a little bit higher, or your hands are in a different place. So I, I think it's just understanding that every single catcher that you coach is different and you got to find a way to get the best out of him with his skill set. And, you know, that's, you know, watching a, a big league game and, you know, you, you got, you know, 30 teams in the big leagues, you're going to see 30 different starting catchers yeah. with different styles. Yeah. And, uh, and they're all, you know, the best in the world, but guys are different. You know, Yachty was different than Pudge and, you know, all these guys are different from each other and, uh, you got to try to find a way to make the guys that you have the best that they can be with the skill set that they have. Wow. Okay. Can you offer some quick nuggets or, you know, I think maybe coaching cues, maybe just, just a handful of things that any catching coach listening to this, the way that you say it or things that you think really helped or, uh, just again, a, like a little nugget of information that may take them down a different path. What are some right off the cuff that you would throw at us? Well, you know, I, I had a catching coach was with the Braves, Chino Cadilla, who's to me one of the the better catching coaches I'd ever been around. And 
And one of the first things he said to me that, that really kind of resonated, and I still say it, is if you've got good hands and good feet, you can throw. Mm. And he never said anything about throwing arm strength. Yeah. He didn't say, you know, you know, Pudge had a cannon and he had good hands and good feet. He had, all, he had the full package. But you know, I, I played with a guy named Bob Nadel. And Bob was the backup catcher for the Marlins behind Charles Johnson for several years and had wow. the World Series ring. And Bob couldn't throw a lick. And if Bob's listening to this, I don't think he'll get <laughs> mad because he'll admit it. He did not have a good throwing arm. Sure. And he was my throwing partner. And, you know, it, I used to kind of make fun of, you know, whistle when he'd throw it. I always had a loop on it. But, you know, it was 185 on the base every time wow. because he had great feet and great hands. He transferred, he got his feet set and got rid of it. So if, I always say this, if you're ever looking for your backup catcher, your second baseman's your guy. Mm. It's hands and feet, turning mm. a double play, getting rid of it. So to me, when you look at a catcher, you need to have athleticism, but it's hands and feet. What kind of hands and feet do you have? If, if a guy's got slow feet and his hands are just okay, and it, it, it does drive me crazy sometimes. You have your corner outfielder that can really hit mm-hmm. and maybe has a, is a thicker body, and so, hey, man, if he could catch, he'd be in the big leagues. I'm like, well, yeah, if I was 6'10", I'd be in the NBA. <laughs> sure. it, it, it just doesn't it's work. It, if, you've got, if, you've got six, if you've got good hands and good feet, then you can throw hmm. and you can play behind the plate. So I, I think that's the, the thing I look for first in a catcher is how quickly does he get rid of the ball, and that has everything to do with his hands and his feet. I love it. Keep rolling. Give me something else. Oh, gosh, it's a mentality thing. If, if, you, can, if you can get through the, the toughness of, of a catcher of, of getting through nine innings and it's 95 degrees, and yeah. you know, I, I tell my guys, you know, everyone's looking at you. You've got eight guys in the field facing you. Yeah. You're the only guy facing the opposite direction. They're going to take cues from you. So your body language is important. Your energy level is important. You know, it, getting on and off the field is important. Being vocal is important. They're watching you. Your team is going to take on your personality, just like you know the, the team takes on the personality of your point guard. Yep. The team takes on the personality of your quarterback. The team is going to take on the personality of your catcher, and your catcher has to be a communicator. He has mm-hmm. to be a guy that has a really high motor. If look at successful teams. And I don't think on, you know, if you look in the big leagues, a World Series team, if you go to Omaha and you watch a College World Series team, you know, that kid catching for Oregon State, I mean, that guy's a big leaguer. Yeah. The way he plays, the way he acts, the way he conducts himself, that's what wins championships because your team's going to take on that personality on the field of that coach on the field, which is the catcher. So, you know, I, I'm looking for guys – obviously with the skill set that can catch and throw and be athletic behind the plate, but everyone's looking at you. And if you've got a mute behind the plate, if you've got a guy that's a low motor or a bad body language guy behind the plate, your team's going to struggle. It's just going to. I don't think that you can be successful at a really high level with a guy behind the plate that doesn't have a high motor. Wow. Well, you just walked into my spider web because that's where I want to I want to maybe expand a little bit more is – how are you specifically growing these guys as communicators? And what I think about is exactly to your points, how, do you, how are you correcting, showing correct body language or more positive body language? How are you helping them develop their voice, not only to the pitching staff, but to the team, to the infield, to the defense? And then how are you helping them maybe coordinate their efforts a little bit better when they do get behind the plate and they're working with that umpire and they're trying to obviously expand your zone or, or earn a pitch? How are you helping those guys communicate? Well, to answer the first part of your question, I think video is the best way, um, showing body language. And I've done this, you know, countless times of, you know, we all watch a player when he fails. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, especially in baseball, because it can grind you down, you know, you take an 0 for 12 and, you know, in a series and it's really easy to to hang your head and shrug your shoulders and, and pout back to the dugout and, 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 that affects not only you; it affects everyone around you. Absolutely. So you just just putting putting it on video. You know, I'll have a you know our student manager or a video coordinator. You know, film a guy during practice. Just keep the camera on him. Just keep it on him. Oh wow. You know, you know, Mike's Mike's struggling a little bit. Just keep the camera on him, mm. and let's just watch how he goes about his practice. And and I had a player several years ago that was a, ended up being a big leaguer really off the charts talented, but was really, really hard on himself. And I think we all know that guy, just super talented, but doesn't handle adversity well, doesn't handle failure well. 
and he was a powder. Something bad would happen, and man, that head would go down. He'd make an error, the head would go down. And so I, I had our manager video him, and I brought him in to the office after practice, and I just told him, look, man, you, you want to be a big ligger. You want to be a first-round pick. I want you to pretend that you're a general manager. You're a GM, and you just came in because general managers are coming in to watch first-round picks. Yeah, no Those decision-makers are coming in to watch those guys, and I want you to watch this guy on film and tell me if you're going to give this guy $2 million. And as soon as we hit play and he saw himself, again, the body language got bad because he's, oh, no, this is not going to be good. But he watched himself about 30 minutes of tape, and he actually teared up and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, broke down a little bit. He didn't realize it was that bad. Yeah. You know, I've been telling, hey, get your head up, body yeah. language, let's go tempo. And he hears it, but he doesn't see it. Yeah. you got to make them see it. Let them see what they look like and let them interpret it in their own way and then communicate with them. What did you see? You know, what, what, what do you get out of that? And I tell you what, that, that player really responded to that. And like I said, he ended up being a first-round pick and played in the big leagues. Mm-hmm. And uh, not because of that, but I think he made some adjustments. And so I think the first thing when you talk about body language with our catchers is they've got to see it. You know, everything we do now, we video. Every Practice is videoed. Games are videoed. They need to see that body language. As far as communicating, I tell like every single time they need to make sure that they're talking to the umpire in between innings. Mm-hmm. They're talking to the umpire almost on every pitch. Um, they need to constantly be communicating in a positive way. Yeah. And they need to establish that relationship with that umpire if they're not talking to that umpire, then to me it's a problem. As a catcher, you've got to have a great relationship with that umpire. Sure. So you have to tell your guys to constantly communicate. And if you're communicating enough when you get to the sixth, seventh, eighth inning, then you, your, your conversations can be a little bit tougher. If your umpire likes you and respects mm-hmm. you, then you can start to say, hey, that's a strike. Hey, we need that pitch. Yeah. But if you're saying that in the first inning, it's going to be a problem. It's over. If you're saying the seventh or eighth, yeah, yeah, you've, you've got to establish that relationship. So constantly mm-hmm. communicating with those guys to communicate with their umpires. When they come in between innings, uh, our catchers have to sit with our pitchers. Yeah. They're sitting down, and they're, you know, sometimes it's, it's kind of fun to watch. When things are going right, they're not saying a word. Yeah. They're just sitting there just kind of taking it all in. But when things are, you know, going off, going off the edge a little bit or the, the pitcher's not on, constantly communicating hey what do you see you know hey tell him what you see you know is, is he setting up too early is he setting up too late just kind of getting pushing those guys in the direction of communicating and uh you know once you start pushing that direction they get better at it yeah I'm, I'm thinking of an example of a player we coached that you know when he stood up in front of the pitching staff or had to direct a bullpen or you know had to direct a team defense you could you could feel the pitching staff you could feel the infield defense you know not take it as serious. And, and, and again, a lot of that was youth, but um, there was also some personality and maybe some of the, the voice behind it. I'm sure you've ran into that example. How did you take that player and really you know, sit down with him and mold him into being a general or on the field? Well, it can be a challenge if you've got a, a kid that's a, a little introverted, yeah. uh, maybe a little shy, or you know, when, when you're giving, you know, our, our catchers give our bunt plays, our catchers give our first and third signs. Mm-hmm. So when you step out in front of home plate, you're commanding the field. And you've got to get everybody's attention. And when you give your signs, when you're giving your body signs, it, it can't be half-hearted. It can't be soft touches. It's got to be deliberate. It's got to be forced. This is, hey, I'm in charge. Look at me. This is our play. And then this basically we're, we're telling everybody, we're going to get this done. This yeah. is what we're doing. We're going to get this done. Yeah. And if, I call them soft signs. If your catcher's giving soft signs, has a soft voice, doesn't have that you know, commanding body language, then your team is so, gosh, we're not very sure about what we're doing here. Wow. Because that's your leader. So when we're practicing, when we're doing first and thirds, when we're doing bump plays, our catchers get out in front of home plate. I give them the sign, then they give it. And if they don't give it the right way, they got to do it again. Yeah. And they got to do it again. This is what I want. And when practice is over, we'll sit down and we'll talk about it. This is what I need to have your voice needs to be louder Mm -hmm. they need to get your you need to get their attention your body language needs to be better your shoulders need to be up those things are important because everybody's looking at you and taking their cues from you that's it that's it um we're gonna try something a little bit different rick and i told you i was was gonna mix it up a little bit and never really done it like this but i've listened to some really great shows 
uh, over the last few years. And again, looking to get better, looking to find ways to improve. And I just think they're look quick hitters. And it's just an opportunity to fill in the blank, expand a little bit if you want to. But the first one is one thing you need to work on personally is blank. Patience. Oh, I need patience. Yeah. Gosh, everything, whether I'm sitting in traffic or, or uh, you know, coaching, coaching through a tough spell, need to have more patience. And, uh, you know, I, I got it honestly. My, my dad is uh, the most impatient person on the planet. Uh, and I, I got it's in my DNA a little bit. Sure. But I need to be able to take a breath, take a step back, and, and have some patience. I keep asking the good Lord for patience, but he keeps giving me nope. things to be patient about. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. Um, exactly right. The key to success is? Consistency. Mm. I think believing in what you're doing and be consistent with it. You just have to stay with it. You have to keep doing it. You know, whether it's, you know, your workout plan or, you know, what you're eating or, you know, what you have to be consistent because if you don't do things consistently, if you don't work out consistently, if you don't eat right consistently, you're going to get inconsistent results. And the same thing happens with, you know, as a coach, as a player, if you're inconsistent with what you do, you're going to get inconsistent results. In the end, when our careers are over, Scott, it's all about what you left behind you, you know, what's, what's there, you know, what your players are saying about you. Um, you know, what, what your, where your family is, uh, you know, the health of your family, the well-being of your family, the, the health and the well-being of your players and, uh, you know, how, you know, how they feel about you. It's not how I feel about me. Yeah. It's how the people around me, uh, that I've coached and been a part of their lives, you know, my, my kids, my wife, you know, what you leave behind. Um, I think that's what ultimately is all about. So good. Uh, staple question of our show. We talk about your Mount Rushmore. And again, we're looking at the three or four people that have impacted you the most. It's a great opportunity to throw some shout outs out there. But Strick, when you look back at, at your growth, your career, your life, and you think about the, the handful of people that have really influenced you the most, who would you point to? Who'd you throw up there? Well, it's it's a softball and the easy ones. My dad, <laughs> yeah. you know, my, my dad, like I just said, is 83 years old. And, you know, I can still remember coming home from school and and, uh, you know, he would get back from work and, and, and he would, he would take a nap and he'd get up at six in the morning and, and I, I countless times I would wake him up from that nap and he'd go out and play catch or hit fly balls or, you know, whatever it was. And, and I, I still can remember one specific time and I don't know what was going on w with him at that moment, but he was very tired, uh, a little irritable and just things weren't going right for him at that moment for whatever reason. And I wanted him to hit me fly balls. And he took a big, deep breath. And I know he wanted to say, no, I can't do it right now. And he got out of that chair and grabbed that bat and hit me fly balls for an hour. Wow. And uh, that, that is all. I always remember that because, I, you know, I know as an adult now, every day is not perfect. We've yeah. got a lot of challenges. We've got things going on. And I always remember that my dad got out of that chair and helped me that day. Wow. And, uh, so he, that's, that's the easy one, yeah. uh, for me. Um, and then, you know, my high school coach, Fred Gibson, uh, he was my basketball coach and my baseball coach. And, uh, as my parents, best friends, we, we grew up with them. I can remember as a little kid, you know, I was a ball boy for the basketball team. You know, I swept the floors at halftime. All I wanted to do was play basketball for coach Gibson. And sure. then he ended up being my baseball coach too. And so, you know, just really respected the way he went about things rarely ever you hear a swear word come out of his mouth, which I wish I could copy a little bit better, sure. but, uh, you know, he just, he just lived the right way, uh, was intense, was a yeller, but man, you just respected him because he was always yelling at you to get better and challenging you to get better. So, uh, you know, coach Gibson certainly, uh, and, and he still comes down, he comes down to, we call it Athens South because he lives in Athens, Ohio. He still comes <laughs> sure. down with, with my parents and, and watches a couple series every year and, mm -hmm. So Coach Gibson is certainly on that. And, you know, Danny Hall is the head coach at Georgia Tech, and, and he was my head coach at Kent State. And, you know, ironically enough, that's my rival now. Yeah. You know, he gave me my start as a college baseball player. He gave me my start as a college coach. And, and, and now we're, we're not allowed to like each other. Yeah. It's kind of funny. You know, he's, <laughs> sure. you know it's, down here they call it clean, old-fashioned hate. You know, Georgia and Georgia Tech, certainly our fan bases don't like each other. And, and sure. our players, you know, are – our athletes, uh, you know, they really compete with each other because we're all very familiar with each other. But, yeah. you know, Danny Hall helped me get to where I am. And, uh, you know, it's, it's an honor to be able to coach against him and, and, uh, and compete. But, uh, but yeah, he, he certainly has helped me get to where I am.
gosh. Okay. Last question I got for you. I know you're going to send us home with, with some great takeaways, but when you think about advice for coaches, and this is in general, an opportunity to empty your pockets out, Scott, and just offer whatever else you have left of where would you send coaches? What are some things that have stuck out to you? What are some maybe quotes or, or ideas that have really helped mold and shape you that you would offer up? What would you get into there? Well, I, I think most importantly, you've got to be willing to do the little things. You've got to be willing to you know, be the first one at the park and be the last one to leave. You know, The guys that are successful, whatever walk of life, if you look at someone that's ultra successful, they've found a way to get the way to where they are by, by just extreme work ethic. Yeah. It's just work ethic. And, and, and that's hard to teach. You know, you, you've got to have it. And I think we've all been around people like, man, this guy doesn't stop. Yeah. He just keeps going. And those are the people in whatever walk of life that end up being really successful. So, you know, I think it's just being willing to do whatever it takes to be success, successful when there's not a promise of success. That's, that's the, that's the key. And, and that's why so many people don't make it because they work and they work and they work and they work and they don't get that result. Then they change and they go do something else. Well, you never know it. That success might be that next day. It might be just right around the corner and it can be maddening, you know, as, as a baseball player, you know, as a, as a minor league player, the, the guys that grind it and grind it and grind it there's a lot of really good stories out there that guys that just kept going, you know, Greg Olson was, a, was a hero of mine for the Braves, a guy that played in the minor leagues for 13 or 14 years and ended up, you know, catching in the world series mm-hmm. with the Braves. And, you know, he just kept grinding it out and found a way to get there and found a way to make it. And when there's no promise of success, some people will say, why am I doing this? I'm not pro you know, I'm not promised to win a championship. I'm not promised to be a draft pick. So why the heck am I getting up at 6 a.m. and going to morning workouts? Why am I doing all this extra stuff when I could be doing all this stuff and I don't get what I want? Yeah. And I think the successful people don't worry about that. They just understand the only way I'm going to get what I want is doing this, is going through this process, working my tail off, because that's what I want. And if I really want it, I'm going to keep going, but there's no promise you're going to get it. And that's, that's the amazing thing about really successful people. I think they ignore the, the, very, the, the end game. I don't know if I'm going to get there or not, but I know the only way I'm going to get there is by doing this. By, you know, whatever. I, I think back at Kent State, I can remember shoveling snow off the sidewalk in front of our complex because a recruit might show up that day. Mm-hmm. Recruited, you know, he didn't, yeah. but what if he did? I'm not having a recruit walk through a foot of snow. I'm going to make sure he can get into our clubhouse. And, and, and that's, I think it was my third or fourth year as a head coach there. I can remember as I'm doing this, and it's freezing cold, my hands are numb, my back hurts, and I'm shoveling the snow really for no reason, just at the off chance that a recruit stops by that day. And I remember saying to myself, this is going to pay off. Yeah. It's going to pay off. Kind of almost tricking myself <laughs> yeah. into doing it. No doubt. But, I think that's what we've got to think about is if we want to get to where we want to be, and we're going to have to do some things that might be uncomfortable sometimes. Wow, gosh. Uh, well, an interview I don't want to end, but I know you got to get back to the rest of your day. But carving out some time for a strick and just having a, a terrific conversation. Man, this is packed with some terrific takeaways and perspective and advice. And, again, we just appreciate who you are to the ABCA and your loyalty to what we're doing here as an association. We wish you the best of luck this year with the Bulldogs. Scott, we'll be paying close attention to you. And uh, we look forward to catching up again soon. Thanks for jumping on with us. Okay, thanks, Sheep. Coaches, thanks again for checking out our Calls from the Clubhouse podcast and another one of our Dugout Chatter episodes. Here at the American Baseball Coaches Association, our mission is to serve coaches around the world. So please let us know how we can help you out. Head over to our website, abca.org. If you're looking for more information about our baseball coaching fraternity, you can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Find us at ABCA1945. If you want to reach out to me directly, do that on Twitter. Find me at CoachSheets3 or shoot me an email at Sheets, S-H-E-E-T-S, at ABCA.org. We love to hear from our loyal members. We would even love to hear from some new ones. 
as we continue to find brand new ways to work together at growing the game of baseball. Huge thanks to the sponsor of these Dugout Cheddar episodes, our longtime partners over at Rawlings. You want more information about what they're doing for baseball and this association? Head over to their website, Rawlings.com. That's R-A-W-L-I-N-G-S.com. And thanks again for your support of the podcast. As always, thanks for listening in and staying dialed into our Calls from the Clubhouse podcast. Until next week, we ask that you keep growing, you keep developing, you keep challenging yourself inside this game. We wish you and your club the very best, and thank you for what you're doing for the game of baseball.